0: Welcome to Exploring Missions. Connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs, across the world or across town. And now, the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Thank you for listening today. We hope you're having a great day you know, this weekend and we pray that God is blessing you. And part of that blessing is being involved in ministry. Uh, whom he has saved, uh, he uses and he wants you to serve. and. It is more blessed to give than to receive, so you want to be a giver of, of yourself to others and to missions, and we pray that this program will help you to identify those things that God has put in your life that you can bless others with. Uh, we're on location recording this at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and so if you hear the noise in the background, we're in mere, uh, part of a break, and people are milling around and talking and sharing. And so don't let that bother you. It's not bothering me. So I hope that will be the case. We have a guest today that we want you to be introduced to, Heinrich Bodis. Heinrich, welcome. Good day, Bud. It is good to have you and anyone even saying good day and saying my name knows that that's not from the South. Okay? Uh you're living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania right now?
1: Yes, I'm just outside Philadelphia, but I'm a South African, so the accent um combined with a, with a bit of a cold um, is definitely different than yours.
0: Amen. Well, we are glad to have you today, and we praise praising God. We're going to build up to what you're doing now, but we want you to go back to South Africa in, in your testimony and tell us what brought you to Christ and then what brought you to America.
1: Well, I was born in the 60s in South Africa, in the early 60s, and that was at the height of apartheid. Uh, so I'm an Afrikaner. Um, we were the bad boys in the um, in the scene down with Nelson Mandela and so forth. Of course, when you grow up in that time, what you see and what you experience, you realize or you think that it's normal. So the segregation that we experienced um, was just to me the way life is. And uh, it took a while before I started realizing that there's something like races um, because um, we never saw the black people. They cleaned our homes, they uh, cleaned our churches, but they Um, would never attend church with us or go to school with us or live in our neighborhoods and uh, So gradually that became a bigger thing. My parents godly parents still alive in Africa um, never taught me or um, To be racist in my actions, but that became a a thing on top of that I was born a sinner, and I did fairly well in my sin I um, um, when you say look, we're
0: born a sinner, I, I tell folks, <laughs> look at your little baby and say you're a sweet little sinner. That's I, I, are. I, I have two know? sons. I yeah. didn't
1: have to train them out to be naughty. No. They were just doing that very <laughs> they spontaneously. They took after to their dad like yeah. mine did? Yeah. Yes, I yeah. know that. Um, so I grew up in a, in a godly house, um, but I personally had no experience of meeting with Christ. I was never in my church that I was, growing up, uh, um, challenged to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so I lived under the impression that I was fine and that I was living a Christian life and that I belonged to the church and that I was actually very involved in the church. I became a youth leader and deacon and I did everything else but be the pastor, which I didn't have the training for, and I wasn't old enough to be an elder. So I did everything else, counted the money, cut the grass, um, did whatever had to be done. Um, But I also found myself living a double life where I would realize that what I think and what I feel and what I'm um, putting my mind to is sinful. And um, at the same time, I'm living this uh, double life of walking in two ways. And um, the Lord used small little incidents in my life to challenge me outside of the church. So I had a godly upbringing. I had a lot of knowledge about the Bible and scripture, but I didn't know Jesus Christ at all.
0: So when we talk about Christ in religion, not being a relate, not in you know religion a relationship are two different things. You had religion.
1: Oh yeah, I had plenty of that,
0: but you did not have that yeah. personal relationship. I
1: knew the Bible. I had a very good biblical knowledge. I could take part in quizzes. I could do anything that you would throw at me, except speak about my salvation, and uh, eter- and in eternity. That was one thing I feared. I I realized that I fear death. I fear. Can you
0: think of anything? I mean, you know, here it is: a guy knowing all about it. Yeah but not experience in the personal reality. Yeah,
1: well it was just a vacuum. I didn't know how to express it. I just knew there was something wrong. Um, Little things that happened is that I almost drowned uh, in the ocean, the Indian Ocean, um, at about 10 years, 12 years old. And um, the experience of almost drowning was terrifying. Um, I was caught up in a stream uh, along the beach and actually a man swam out my way and I thought he was coming to help me but he said no I'm sorry I can't help you I have to save my daughter who's right behind you and he swam past me and and that was it and I was up and down under the water but out of nowhere a a lifeguard appeared and there were thousands of people on the beach but he came straight at me with a uh, a life um, belt around his uh, waist and a boy attached to a, a rope and he said, hold on, and that I did. I didn't debate with him <laughs> why I should hold on and why the thing is pink and, and why the rope is white and whatever. Didn't I just, matter? Didn't matter. But and now, very many years later, I saw the, the absolute parallel to what Christ did um, as well, just appeared out of nowhere, and he said, hold on, and that was, that's what I had to do. Um, as time went on, um, I also, my, my final breakdown came when I tried to help a, a friend of mine who was in grade 12 and who then realized that he was actually not a, a legitimate son of a very wealthy person in that, in that area, in that city, but that he was an adopted child and that he was actually a child of a prostitute. He turned around and became an atheist on the spot, um, at least an agnostic, but he sp- expressed that there's no God that could allow that. I had no ways of helping him. I knew he was in trouble, but I knew that I was in trouble too, so what do I share with him? So um, I took him to a camp, uh, really uh, worked hard to get him to come with me to a Christian camp um, for school leavers, as we called it in, in that time, and um, took him to the leaders. That was another little effort, so I thought I was doing fairly well here to help this atheist, at least to get somewhere close to where he could get, receive some help. Um, but in this little meeting, instead of helping him, somehow one um, small girl, uh, not very tall, uh, turned her finger to me, as if like God's finger. And she said, but you, are you saved? And those words rocked me, because it up to that point I was more concerned about the girls from all over the the area that came to this camp. And it was more about fun and how to plan your life after school and so on. But my, my appetite for girls, and my appetite for food, and my appetite for sleep, everything fell away. And um, I, I remember clearly um, confessing, going in brokenness and, 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 and to a pastor who led the whole thing. It was not part of the pattern of the camp, um, but I knew that I was desperately in trouble. And um, so I, I committed my life to Him, to Jesus Christ as my Savior in 1980 but it took a while before this sank in that there is a committed life and the whole thought of revival only came in 1984 when I was a student at a college university in that same city and um, the student uh, movement, Christian student movement could annually invite a speaker to speak and the students without the permission of the authorities which is now fairly steeped in in, uh, apartheid so it was a white college, no black people attended there, they only cleaned the place. Um, invited this Olu Stegen, and he was the person that led and that is still leading a revival among the Zulu people, Z-U-L-U, right, on the east coast of South Africa, and I never heard of them, and I never heard of revival, didn't know what that term means, but the students invited him to come and speak. The the sin they committed was, to in, was also to allow the 30-member uh, black choir to come along. So there was complete chaos. And the authorities had no other uh, option but to allow this to continue. Here they are. But it was an embarrassment um, for the uh, um, establishment and uh, to handle this black choir. But when they sang, I saw their, li- their faces come alight. And when they spoke of Christ and when they gave testimony, I realized I had nowhere anything close to what they were uh, um, showing off and shining. And um, so that that ignited something in me. The theme was revival. And for example, the Wednesday night in 1984 on a Wednesday evening, uh, the theme was how dull has the gold become? And um, I mean, if I can remember now in 2017, what happened in, in, 2000 and, uh, in 1984, you realize that That's it made annoying. a com- tremendous impact yes. on my life. Yes. And I realized this is me. I am the one who is supposed to have the gold, um, to wear the golden, golden ring, but it has become so dull. My knowledge of, of, of Christianity was dull. It was, it was not pleasing anybody. It wasn't pleasing God. It was not attractive to anybody around me. And uh, so revival became something um, that, that intrigued me. Right. It split the youth, the Christian youth, into two at the college. And uh, that, I very, was, uh, that very year, That I very year, that yep. very event. Yeah. Um, because there were the 90% people that said, no, this is a little bit too radical. This is not what we want. We want to continue in the old way. And then um, me and a, quite a few other uh, guys especially got together and we were called, they were soon given the nickname um, that we were the holy club, you know. Oh, okay. So and that's not a bad that's deal. Not, that's a, comp- uh, it's a compliment it, yes, in some it ways. Is. it is. So um, we continue to seek the Lord, and, and uh, things that happen is to how to, how to do life, how to do life as a Christian, how to do life as a true in relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, do every day, not Sundays, but Mondays and Thursdays. And as a young man, um, how do I do relationships? Um, how do I do lust? What do I do with sin? What do I do with those those deep down sins that, that nobody talks about. And it took um, a considerable work of the Lord that grew from that time um, to um, uh, realize that my whole life, 24-7, belongs to Him. Amen. And um, so, at that time, immediately I would say a missions vision uh, was ignited in my life, in my, in my spirit. And actually to say that that Holy Club yeah. All of them basically became missionaries or pastors somewhere, somewhere well, the around the world. Same
0: thing happened to the Holy Club in Oxford in England. Well, I, mean. I,
1: I didn't know that, but I mean, I yeah. um, you know it now. I found, it, it, I found yeah. out later, but that's yeah. exactly what happened. Is yeah. that these guys all committed their lives um, somewhere along the yeah. the way? And unfortunately, my wife was at the same. I never knew my wife um, into, intimately, or let me rather say, at all, um, at the college. I just found, uh, uh, met her later on, but she attended the same services about Revival, which is now uh, 29 years later in my marriage. Um, I, it was a blessing that, that we met up with the same message at the wow. same time because it was so yeah. radical. Yeah. So that was in 84, 88 we got married and um, then this mission's vision started developing. What do we do what do we do? In both of you? Both of us. Okay. And, and, and a larger friendship group. Yeah. So we, we thought, well, we can't do the normal things. We can't just go to church and have a sing song after church a little bit and, and, and uh, um, do s'mores and so on on the fire. and you, That can't be it. So we started reaching out in Port Elizabeth, which is a port city on the east coast of South Africa, to the prostitutes, to the nightclub um, attenders, dwellers. To the um, street children, those who sleep um, without parents, uh, we started soup kitchens. Um, just doing very practical things. What part
0: things. of South Africa is this in? That
1: is that is very south uh, on the coast, uh, okay. southeast coast, okay. and, uh, in what's now called the Eastern Cape. Okay, which is basically known for where Nelson Mandela comes from. That's okay. the area. Okay, uh, so it's famous for that. Um, so in time, um, this we also got involved in um, Bless the Nations, which is a Ministry that, that flowed from the work of Andrew Murray um, in the previous century, then, and I was a, I was always a very keen um, follower and of of Andrew Murray. Right. And his works are read His works, and at one point, I actually have to confess that I think I love Andrew Murray more than the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just sort of back back off a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I have a high respect for, we, we for his work. We start
0: following men; it, it can't happen, can happen. It's dangerous. Yes, it, it is. Yeah. No matter what, man, it is.
1: Exactly. Um, and so, in time, um, we we did we, a personal call developed. So I was very involved. Both me and my wife are, are I would say, at, administratively gifted. And um, so I was involved in public health and, and ran big budget, big plans for how to deal with AIDS. Uh, but God then called us in, in 96 to step away from, from that um, public health way, um, which we were sort of combining with this outside uh, work with prostitutes and so on, to um, go into full-time ministry. Amen. And um,
0: Let me interrupt here and say... Those that are listening, we're listening to Heinrich Bertus from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, originally from South Africa. So if you've been hearing this voice and know it's a little different, that's yeah. why.
1: Yeah, the accent is, uh, is, is South African. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, um, in 96, it was the biggest decision in my life, I would say, up to that point. Um, I was grown, I was taught to be responsible, to be a responsible man, to um, not do something foolishly like like give up your job, like going to full-time ministry—that's foolish. Right. And uh, so, after <laughs> that point, I had a good it's life. Dangerous, too. It's dangerous <laughs> to sell my house, to yeah. stop, to re, to uh, resign. And that first month when I didn't get a, ch- a regular check was like stepping over a precipice into darkness, into a dark hole. But uh, I can testify again, like many other missionaries probably can do, that since 1996 up to 2017, which is now. Um, God has been very faithful, and, and uh, the path that I will explain a little bit now has been a, a, an exciting journey with Christ. I never knew that this would be happening when I met up with, with Him in, in 1980, 1984, um, and, and, and as time went on, um, an exciting real-life uh, presence of God. Okay. that um, led us, and, and so I'll t- probably will have to explain what do I do in the United States? How yeah, do I get that, there? We,
0: we do need to get there, so we make sure we get that yeah. we don't want to leave that hanging. You <laughs> have to
1: cross the Atlantic Ocean at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. Not the Indian, the yeah. wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, so you come to America in what year? Um, we came in 2008, okay. um, so let me, let me back uh, over a little bit, back down. Um, we, in, 80, in 1996, we went to that exact Uh, where the revival among the Zulu people is still happening on the east coast of South Africa. Um, A mission station developed, and uh, me and my wife felt surprisingly, we were surprised, that we were not called to Russia or to Indonesia or a place like that, which we were preparing for. Um, We even prepared to be homeschool parents, um, that we were called to that mission station. And we lived there in a small room with our two sons um, for 12 years, and God uh, used my knowledge of HIV AIDS and the prevention and treatment and all the things of AIDS um, as a vehicle for taking the gospel into homes, hearts and, 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 and areas and uh, where I would never have been if it wasn't for this disease. So God used my knowledge and, and, and just the reality of a terrible disease to um, lead me to um, a place where I could um, use my skills to develop programs for um, how to care for people who are dying and two three people would be dying in the same hut same home um, and obviously what happened next we couldn't we couldn't back off from that uh, they were orphans so you mm. the parents die and here are the children what do you do so we have to start an orphanage so um, and that led from the one thing to the other and eventually a ministry that's well known in the United States by David Wilkerson uh, right. of the crossing the switchblade most yes. people most listeners would know of yes. him um, in New York heard about what we were doing um, in that part of the country, came to visit us and it led to uh, invitations to come and speak in the United States and to visit and um, so obviously that was just to me fun, it was good to be in the United States and then to go back to South Africa, that was it. But God had different plans and in 2008, we were invited to join a ministry um, linked to uh, David Wilkerson. He had several ministries um, connected to Times Square Church in New York um, to do, w- use my international expo- ex- experience in um, with nonprofits and um, so on to help him um, set up, a, start up a new ministry for abused women and children. Um, but he also used me for a, a feeding scheme that he ran. Um, so my African. Um, knowledge of Africa.
0: You brought that to America?
1: So he used me to yeah. go out to Africa to find out, for example, why are the pastors uh, in a certain area stealing the money uh, ah. that should go to the children. So that type of sad things happen in, in, in church they life, do. of course. And but it was a privilege to just work alongside him and to um, help with these different ministries. Parallel to all of that, um, I uh, also met up with the chaplain of the Chester County Prison in Pen- near, Pensil- near Philadelphia and um, now this this is really uh, I need more time to explain it but it's a God story it's God that um, ordained our steps he makes us uh, meet people there is no coincidence in what God does and um, the Africans have a saying that there may be many loose ends in your life but if you weave it it can actually make a very pretty uh, uh, yes, a carpet, a that. rug yeah. and uh, so that happened in my life that where I met uh, Where I heard about this man, uh, Jack Kranz, who is also one of the sponsors of um, this event uh, that we are attending right. here in Asheville, um, he is he's the chaplain of the Chester County Prison. I met him, I heard about him by chance in Africa, and somebody said, you must meet him, and I thought, well, you know... So you
0: heard about him in South yeah,
1: Africa? Yeah, I said, but I mean, so he, there are 300 million people in in the United States. I mean, I have no reason to go there, and I would not meet this guy Except if you sit right at the at at where at JFK Kennedy, then that's <laughs> the only way that I might meet him. But years later, I came totally unrelated, just on a family visit. Somebody said you need a um, a furlough. I didn't know what a furlough was. I thought you spread it on on bread or something, <laughs> because we don't know furloughs in Africa. <laughs> that's not part of your culture. <laughs> no, it's now. not part yeah. of our culture. So we came out on this furlough. It happened to be Christmas time. We went on the uh, Christmas Eve. Our hosts who don't know anything about any of these conversations that I had in the past about Jack Kranz and so on, said, let's go to a little stone historic church um, near where they lived. And we just happened to be there for a few days. Um, we're not going to our normal church. We're going to this pretty church. They have a wonderful Christmas Eve service with candles and singing and so on. And they would like us to, ex- to expose me and my family to this, the way it's done. So we uh, and he said, by the way, you might like the pastor. So I said, okay. So we walked up to the steps of the of the church, and there stood Jack Kranz, the same man. So <laughs> I mean, how is it possible? You cannot explain it. I always say you cannot be drunk enough uh, to make up such a story. <laughs> well,
0: that's what they said about Pentecost. Yeah, uh, it's exactly. Too early in the morning, yeah.
1: It's, it's uh, God makes up. And uh, so you're
0: there working with. So um,
1: him. long story short, the the assignment with, with uh, David Wilkerson passed. Um, he passed away as well. And uh, just before I had to go back to South Africa, because we had a three-year work visa, right, right. we were inwi- invited by the same Jack Krantz to um, join the Ministry of County Corrections Gospel Mission. So that's the name of the ministry. And you can look it up online, County Corrections Gospel Mission. Each of those words, a long name, means something very specific right. in our context. Um, but it's the ministry that, that runs the chaplaincy at the Chester County Prison near Philadelphia. Um, and I'm privileged to work there um, as, uh, as part of this ministry with one foot inside the prison and one foot outside uh, the prison, inside and outside. Uh, of course, the biggest drive now is that prison ministry has changed, and maybe that's a good thing that I can maybe just share that with the listeners. If you're involved in prison ministry, um, you may notice that it's changing. We can no longer do classical prison ministry and visit a, an inmate in a prison Give him a track and go home and eat our steak. Um, that's the, the course way of, of looking at it. We have to be involved. We have to focus on reentry, if possible, from the, per- from the moment the person puts his foot in prison and visualize and prepare them for the day they enter society. Okay. So what we do is we do not only reach out to the inmate, male and female, um, in prison, which I do, but we also prepare the family for them to come back We work therefore with the children, with the grandmothers, with the mothers um, in in one of the towns where most of our um, criminal activity is happening. And we have a campsite uh, where we have summer camp and weekly um, events for the children and the mothers, Bible studies. But uh, my specific job is to prepare congregations in the wider county from different denominations uh, to train them to be mentors. Now, the listeners may find this a little bit secular maybe what's this mentoring mentoring is just the the nice word that the world uses for discipleship exactly and um, and we may uh, might as well use the opportunity while it's there and the prison I personally believe that uh, the next round of revival I I might be um, people may not necessarily agree with me but I believe that the next uh, awakening uh, the next revival might come um, in unlikely places and I call inner city and prisons unlikely places for revival. Will. I would agree. And um, my own way of, of, of looking at this is that nothing is impossible to the Lord. Amen. Brother. Actually, Job said everything is possible everything. to him. So the, the only way that God breaks out a little bit of a sweat is when, some, is when we call something impossible. So revival in prison and revival in the city is probably fairly impossible for us to arrange.
0: May the Lord do it. And so
1: God can do it. He can. And I'll ask the listeners to pray with us that God will work in the Chester County prison. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Brother, this is an amazing story. Thank
1: you very much. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank you for having me today. God bless. Heinrich
0: reminds me of The Apostle Paul, we find Paul first, uh, second time mentioned in Acts chapter 11 when Barnabas went up to Antioch to see what God was doing in the movement that was started there, and after he was there and he saw the faith that was in them and the strengths they had that it was obviously of God, he remembers Paul, he was Saul at that time, that's back uh, at his hometown in, in Tarsus. And Barnabas departs from Troas to seek Saul. That's what it says in Acts 11, verse 25. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. That was his purpose when he went and got Saul. But God had something else in mind. Makes me think of Heinrich's story. Heinrich came and he thought he was going to do this, and he did it for a while, and then other doors opened up, and those doors led to even a greater ministry because a, a year later, and we find this in Acts chapter 13, <clears throat> just two chapters over, it says the church that was Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers there, and they were teaching the people. And in verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You know, sometimes we may enter a work thinking this is it, nothing else can do. But God, he can move us because of of abilities, he can move us because of circumstances to other avenues of ministry, and those ministries are greater than even the one that we started with. And I've seen that in my life. I've seen it in so many people's lives. Uh, when I came to AFA, AFR, I was working with pastors and families. And then the Lord opened up uh, the other program that I have here at this, uh, this network, uh, Exploring the Word. And then a year or two later, God opened up this program, Exploring Missions. And so God moves us and directs us and shows us so many things they're open to us. And that was true with Heinrich. It was true with the Apostle Paul. And it may be true with you that God is working in your life where you are. And you're faithful. Praise God. But also be ready. Be ready for the Holy Spirit as he did to Paul and and, and, and Barnabas. And he says, I want you to start this work that I've laid out before you. And it was a great work. That, that God had for them, just as he has for you. May God bless you, and may God use you, not just where you are, but also where he wants you to be. For God's plans are good, and they're faithful, and you can depend upon him. Thank you again for listening to Exploring Missions on the American Family Network.